Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the Masters of Real Estate podcast, a.k.a. the More podcast, where we interview stars and rising stars of the real estate investing game and seek to discover their secrets of success. We're excited you're here. All right. Welcome, everyone. This is Bill Guting, and there's my co-host, Kimmy P. And many of you probably recognize our special guest today who we're very excited about, Mr. Jerome Myers, who's here to take us out of the matrix. <laughs> so, Kimmy P, I know you were really looking forward to this interview and you were excited about it. Why so? Why were you so excited? Why? Because he took the, the red pills. That's why. He took the red And we haven't <laughs> taken the red pill yet? No, I we haven't. We took, yeah, I don't think we took the red pill. So yeah, so we're, we're waiting for him to share the experience we're committed. going down. The <laughs> we're finally ready to take the red pill. That's what today is all about. So, let me introduce you to you guys, our special guest, okay? Jerome Myers. Jerome. The multifaceted Jerome is a real estate investor, coach, strategist, asset manager, and host of the podcast, Multifamily Missteps. I love that. <laughs> Everyone's so, such a positive spin on multifamily. You take the other angle and, and see how we can improve from mistakes. That's beautiful, man. So Jerome and his team are on a mission to hold a $1,000 portfolio and help over 100 people find their first or next real estate deal. Jerome Myers, welcome. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Bill and Kimmy. Yes. Like I said, okay, so we just took the red pill. Okay, <laughs> we're ready to absorb whatever information you have to share with us. But uh, so, um, so, so anyway, we've got a series of questions for you, Jerome. And I know, um, what's your, but by the way, let me take a little tangent here. What's your feeling? There's one camp out there that basically says, okay, um, start big right? Just, just, you know, forget the small step, just go big, right? As soon as you can. But then there's another camp that says, why not stair step it? Start small and then scale up until you get the confidence and the proficiency to tackle the bigger projects. I think you're a proponent of the latter or, but yeah. And we're, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Yeah don't want to have this conversation. Look, if you, I, I, I like to set it up like this. There's two ways I'm going. Let me give you guys my most recent one. Bill, Kimmy, I know you guys are investors. I'm getting ready to start my MMA career. And my first fight is going to be- MMA, wow. Yeah, my first fight is with Conor McGregor. I, I downloaded the karate program. <laughs> and we are just going to, 
um, just go straight to the title fight with Connor. I haven't had any coaching. All I've done is watch videos on YouTube and uh, listen to a few podcasts. Now, in order for you to make money on your investment in the project with me, uh, I've got to win, right? If I finish in second place, there is no loser's purse. And in order for me to do this, I need 500 grand, right? It's my first MMA fight. Should I send you the wire instructions? <laughs> okay, point taken, man. <laughs> you don't just jump into the Super Bowl just because you want to be there. I think so, especially not without some training and some real time in the seat, actually knowing if you can get punched in the face or knowing if, you know, something goes wrong that you can actually recover from it. And, you know, I had to write a check this week for a property because we came up short on our income and I needed to make sure that we paid our mortgage. Right. And so if you don't have the things, the wherewithal to do those types of things, I personally don't want you to be an operator. There are some people who say, oh, yeah, make all the money. Just do a capital call and take it from the people who invested in the deal. That's not what I think of when I think of an operator. And so I think you should take steps. And I mean, I don't know anywhere else where people just jump to the next level. If you buy a franchise, you're going to go through education. You're going to have somebody watching over you while you get started to see if you actually know what you're doing. And so this sensationalizing multifamily investing, specifically syndications, and telling people, hey, you're going to get rich quick. All you got to do is one deal. It'll pay back your twenty dollars to $50,000 investment for the coaching program isn't a real thing in a lot of cases. And so I want people to go get some tuna in the boat. And so this is the other example I use. You go out, you go fishing, um, deep sea fishing, right? And you can get some tuna. You, you get tuna in the boat, you come back, you go back out, maybe you go get some swordfish the next time or some other type of fighting fish. You go back out and you keep getting a bigger boat. You make sure that you right, have the right equipment on the boat. You know that you can go out to sea and have some sea legs. You know that you're not going to get sick every time you go out or you take the proper drama means so that you can actually make your trip in and out. And then maybe you go uh, well hunting or shark hunting, right? But you know, this whole concept of I'm just going to go out there. I know my first time going DC fishing, I got crazy sick, right? And I ended up sleeping in the cabin, right? And, or, and then we came back out and I was just so happy to be back on land. There's a whole lot of people who think they're going to get into the space and go catch a well and yeah. they're not ready to be in the sea. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's my two cents on it. Yeah. Also, because there's a, there's quite a few people who are touting that go big or go home. Right. But I think we're, we're, we're definitely in your camp because that's how we did it. We started small, right. Built up the confidence, built up the team, the infrastructure. And then, you know, sooner or later, you're doing larger and larger deals. So we're with you on that, man. So, so let's start off with, so why do you prefer the smaller multifamily properties? And let me define smaller, okay, because it's more small, the, the, the better definition is probably smaller to intermediate. When I say smaller, I'm talking anything from two units up to 100 units, okay? Yeah. So, but, but I know that's become your niche and your specialty. So why do you prefer those, Jerome? Yeah, so we really like the stuff that's over five to make sure that people are okay. getting loans because you get out of that you know, secondary form of repayment situation. But why do I like it? Because you get tuned in the boat, right? If I call a broker and all I own is a single family home or I'm renting an apartment somewhere else and say, hey, I want to buy your five or $6 million deal. And you say, well, what have you done? 
what do you own? Oh, I got my house. It's worth, let's call it a half a million dollars. Right. Okay. Uh, what else you got? I, I don't, I don't think you have a compelling story. And mm-hmm. so if I think about the way that I got into the space, you know, I wanted to go borrow a million dollars from the bank to buy this 23 unit. And they told me no. And I was like, what do you mean? No, I got an MBA and an engineering license. Like, right, right. According to corporate America. And then I went even further. I was like, well, I just built a $20 million division for a Fortune 550 company. Like, I got a real PL experience. You guys have to be ready to lend to me. And they told me no. And the banks and the brokers are the people that you need to convince before you even think about convincing investors to come in the deal with you, right? Because they're the, the bank is your biggest financial partner. Right. They're bringing 70 to 80 percent of the money more often than not. And then all the risk equity is coming from usually friends and family. And so these smaller properties, I think you can do it with a community bank, with a recourse loan, with friends and family. Get that deal done. Have something that you are operating and you can figure out if you like it or not. Right. And from there, you can point to that success. You can show that you have some track record. And now it's a whole lot more easier to say, hey, Bill. Hey, I'm in the market. I'm in Greensboro. I'm looking to scale my portfolio. We tested the market. We bought this 10 unit over here. We're having great results and we're looking to go to a 30 or a 50 unit building. You got anything? Hmm. That sounds a whole lot better than I got a house. (laughs) (laughs) So build your track record. Basically, it's, it's easier to scale and build your track record if you're starting small and then just gradually stair stepping the process. There's that whole message again, which we like, right? That's the path we've taken, actually, by the way. So I know you're a methodical person, okay? You think in terms of systems and steps, okay? So what is your general process for finding a good, small, or to intermediate multifamily project? How do you see it? This is the other great part about it, right? I'm going direct to seller. I don't need the brokers, mm. right? When you're buying the bigger stuff, more often than not, it's going to trade with the broker just because they have greater reach and it allows them to get a higher price point. But I'll call, I'll knock on doors, I'll mail, I'll do all of the techniques that wholesalers use in single family to get access to basically off-market deals, but I don't have to worry about a broker pricing it at a premium because a lot of the owners that we buy from are ready to retire, right? The property's in some form of disrepair or they've run out of capital and they need to liquidate to harvest the equity and the property might not be performing in a fashion where the banks are going to fund a refi, a cash out refi in particular. And so we can come in, give them the opportunity to exit because and from my perspective, I'm just buying a business plan. And I think exiting the business by selling it is a viable strategy for a lot of the kind of widget type businesses. But when you have the real estate business, right, you're, you're selling a subscription and you partner that with the real estate, the banks get super excited. You know, mm. if you go- can try to get a loan for 80% of the value of that business. Yeah. Well, you know, but if you real estate, which is what we do, then you can get a pretty high leverage loan. And I don't think you're over leveraged by putting 75 and 80% on these properties if you've got a solid business plan. Yeah, yeah. So, so Jerome, you mentioned um, direct to seller, right? That's one of the things, right? It just seems like the bigger you go, especially if you're talking about 100 units and above, most of that deal flow seems to be controlled by 
like the major commercial brokers in that area, right? And you're dealing and, and it almost becomes, or at least we've seen in the last few years, it becomes like a bidding war, right? But it sounds like, so, that, so when, but you, when you're dealing with two units to 100 units, you can go direct to the seller. So let's talk about that, man. What are your top strategies and methods for finding great small to intermediate multifamily deals where you're, sounds like you're getting off market, off the beaten path, off the radar because you're dealing directly with the seller. Well, what kind of strategies are you using to find those? Everyone, that's what we want to know. Mail is my favorite, really? right? Sending a letter to the person that owns the property always makes my phone ring every really? single time. Really? And it, I, I don't like rejection. It's part of the reason why I'm not in sales, right? So I don't enjoy the <laughs> thought of calling. And I know a lot of people who call, but they get cussed out, they get hung up on. And yeah, that just isn't exciting for me. I'd rather send mail to people and let them opt in, right? Here's my piece. I like your property. I'd love the opportunity to look at it and see if we can potentially work out a deal. Give me a call. Here's my cell. And they call. Yeah. Some of them are fishing for a big number. Others are like, yeah, I'm tired of this. And, you know, we're getting ready to do some more of that now that we're coming towards the end of, you know, what we think post-COVID will be, right? We can actually put some mail in the street, get some financials, see how people perform through COVID, see what's happening now that unemployment's kind of shifted and changed, and see if we can make some deals with people who may have a little bit of pressure, but we really like the people who've performed well, right? Because you know, they're not going to list their property. You know, we've got one thing, one property on the market right now and people who come in asking for discounts, we look at them and say, guys, we've had hundred percent collections throughout COVID. We have absolutely no reason to discount this property and we expect this to continue to, uh, this trend to continue. So you can buy this great cash flow, but we don't have any reason to discount. And for the people who are sitting on the sidelines, I'm gonna get a great discount post COVID because you know everybody's willing to just kind of give their property away. My response to you is, unless you can buy in cash, the people who are giving their property away are not gonna be the people that, are not gonna be the deals that you can fund with the bank, right? Because they're looking for performing assets. And the people who give their properties away, their property isn't performing. Yeah. So it's this conundrum that is really chicken and egg. And I, I just really hope people have thought through their strategy because yeah. I, th I hear a lot of people, especially on social media, touting things that just aren't feasible. And you can tell that they're not operators yet. Huh. So let's back up a little bit because you threw out, you threw out an old school technique that a lot of people have abandoned. Yep. <laughs> You know, direct mail these days is not in favor. You know, we talk to a lot of people and they're talking about, you know, text marketing, ringless voicemail, um, you know, other, other types of methods, you know, finding deals on social media, which I would imagine all of it works. But here you are throwing out an old school technique. Why does it work so well, man? What secrets can you reveal there on how to get your phone ringing with direct, good old fashioned direct mail? About it, Bill. What <laughs> that own these properties outright, right? I mean, a lot of these folks have little to no mortgage on it. They're in their late 50s, their early 60s. Some of them may be in their late 60s, but they're ready to retire. I mean, that's who we want to buy from, right? Mm -hmm. And they're probably not on email, but if a letter shows up in the uh, mail, yeah, it's true. That's <laughs> true. Yes. Right? I mean, for me, that's, again, that's just our target, right? We're not looking to buy from somebody in their 20s or 30s who 
took down a deal, executed part of a business plan, and now they're trying to sell it off a of pro forma to double or triple the money of the people who put the money in the deal. Uh, we're looking for people who've held the thing long term and they're looking to make an exit from the business. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Um, and what's beautiful about direct mail these days, you know, even though I call it an old school technique, the fact that so many people and so many businesses and people have abandoned direct mail, now it becomes there's no clutter in your mailbox anymore. It's easy to get attention, you know? Especially when you handwrite the address on the outside. Oh, beautiful. Even, okay, well, there's, that, that's, a, that's another great tip. Who's not going to open something that they get that's handwritten and you probably put a postage stamp on there to, to make it look like come from Grandma Betty? So, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome, man. And what I'm hearing also is what you shared was like another golden nugget that I, I want to make sure that people didn't gloss over. Um, you mentioned you like to go after uh, properties that have a ton of equity that are maybe free and clear. You're targeting older, older folks, maybe who and who have probably owned the property for a number of years. And then maybe they're in liquidation mode, or you know, or they're wrapping up their estate. And so the beauty about direct mail, you can reach out to darn near any list broker, and they can find that list for you. Uh-huh. That's or another beauty. Yeah. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So okay. So I, I just you know. Hope you. I hope that you got you guys let that sink in of the power of direct mail. I know it's so easy to gloss over, right? Everyone wants to hear about. No, give me a high tech method. Give me a, give me a, a you know something I can do on the internet. But yeah. this is one of the most powerful methods. I, I'm with you on that, man. So okay, cool, Kimmy P. What's anything on your mind you want to ask? Uh, yeah, I have a few questions. Well, uh-oh. So I'm going to throw out the Uh-oh. first one at you. Uh-oh, be ready, man. She already she took the red pill too. <laughs> <laughs> what are some key metrics to use when analyzing a potential deal? Key so, metrics. One that I don't use just to make people upset. Uh-huh. Cap. Cap rate. Cap rate. It's like, are you trying to tell us it's most of the time it's irrelevant? <laughs> because people are fixated. The first thing they ask you typically is, what's the cap rate? Cap rate doesn't matter, guys. I mean, <laughs> if something that has a problem, the cap rate doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't. Exactly. Like, it get ready to sell, but it doesn't matter. So I don't use cap rate. Now, with that said, Kimmy, so what, what am I most interested in? When I buy a deal, I'm looking at debt service coverage ratio. That's the first mm. thing I look at. And I want to make sure that we're in a nice position. And it doesn't matter what the bank says, it's what we're comfortable with. If you're going in and you're doing a value add, which is what we like to do, um, you're going to have some vacancy fluctuation. And so can you buy this and still service your debt with that vacancy? It's always amazing when I see people say a few things when they model it. And I did it as a mistake on probably my first or second model. One, they don't add any vacancy in while they're going through the process of renovating units. I just don't know how you renovate units, bump the rents, and your your occupancy stays the same. Just tell me that, right? You, you've got a property that's performing as it should, and you know you, you got it at 90 or 95% occupied, and now you're renovating units. Just how does that work? Yeah. 
Um, the other thing that I look at is what the delta is between what market rent is and what the property is look, renting at today. And those two things tell me whether or not the property is worth going any further. Um, and I guess there's one other thing that we use as a sanity check because I found out the hard way that um, just because the P&L says that it can support the price, that there's a certain amount of uh, suspicion that you should have if the property is trading at a price per unit that is a lot higher than what other stuff in the area is trading for on a price per unit basis. Like what makes the income so much better or the expenses so much lower at this property so that it gets a NOI that's a whole lot higher that justifies a higher sales price or a price per door. Um, so those three things is what I would boil it down to. Yeah. Okay. So we're a little, we're a little bit deep in the rabbit hole here. So I got to back you up. <laughs> debt, debt service coverage ratio, DSCR, you mentioned, I know the banks like to see at least, I believe 1.25 and higher. You, is your metric a little bit even higher than that? Absolutely. Yeah, even, I mean, we won't buy, if we can't get 1.5 on wow. income, we won't buy. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I encourage you guys to look. The, Google will tell you exactly how to calculate the DSCR. <laughs> you know, we don't want to jump into a math class, but okay, 1.5, okay. Um, and, and the second thing you said, the delta between current rent and the potential rent is another thing that you look at and you like to see, I, I would imagine, as big a spread as possible. Yeah, but a minimum of 125 is what we look for. Minimum of $125. Right. Got right. it. I can make coverage coverage ratio thing really simple, right? The If your debt service coverage ratio is one, then yeah. you're even on the property. If it's below one, you are negative. money. Yeah. And everything that you do above, call that your profit margin. Yeah. Right? You got a debt service coverage ratio of 1.25, you made 25% profit margin. Gotcha. Okay. So you really buffer it by going 1.5. You got a nice margin there, cash flow to coverage your debt, to cover your debt. Very cool. What else you got, Kimmy P? Okay, that's what's good. Can you tell <laughs> us a little about your due diligence process? Oh, it's once you have once you have a deal in the contract, how do you know it? It is really good. It's a good deal. And what are some of the things um, you take a closer look at during the escrow period? Yeah. Oh boy, that's a bundle. That's a, That's not one question. That's like a <laughs> three part a whole kitchen sink. <laughs> Kimmy, let's I'm, back up. Let's back up. Let's back up. Then, can you tell us a little about your due diligence process? Yeah, that's the joke. Once you get in escrow, what's your due diligence process? I think I can do all of it. Here we go. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. 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 <laughs> the first thing I will tell you is I don't know if I ever know if deal is good until after it closes and we're operating. Oh it. man. Yep. True. In these broken apartment building businesses to wild animals. And if you've got a, a dog that's been mistreated or something else, you don't know if that thing's going to snap at you and bite you, right? So you've got to get it home. you got to love on a little bit. <laughs> you know, then once you start rubbing on it, you've got a pretty good idea of the temperament, right? And so you've got residents oftentimes that haven't been trained properly and so they might not pay their rent on time and or they might not pay their rent at all and so you got to weed that stuff out and see who's going to stay in the community and who's going to leave um and you can get some of that figured out by walking through but i've also learned that you can't judge a book by its cover so the things that we look at when we get into due diligence 
We want independent third-party verification of the income. What? Yeah. So we want to see the bank statements that show that they actually made the deposits that they say the NOI is. And some people are like, I wouldn't give you my bank statements. Why not? Like, it's for that business. It's okay. Um, Some people ask for tax returns. We'll ask for tax returns from time to time, but we don't really care about the tax returns as much as the bank statements because if you want to lie to the tax man, that's on you. You can't Uh lie, right? The deposits are the deposits. The other thing that we're looking at is we actually want to see the bills that are shown in the expense statement, right? So if they say they're paying $10,000 for insurance, I'd like to see the insurance bill. I'd Mm -hmm. also like loss runs tied to the insurance to see what's been happening at the property. Because what happens when you have a lot of losses at a property is the insurance goes up for that property when other people quote it because they can see it. And that's an expense that, I mean, you just can't get around. Um, We're going, I will personally walk in every unit for the things that we buy because I really want to see the condition of the property. Uh, When we do our turns, we don't do hosts, wholesale sweeping things where like regardless of what the cabinets look like we rip them out we do stuff on a unit by unit basis even if we budget to do the whole thing we will only do the things that need to be done and so we're going to go through and check those out one of the things that i've learned uh kind of the hard way and you'll get a kick out of this one kimmy is the utilities have to be on in every unit sometimes a challenge i would imagine right on the vacancies uh, maybe not. No, with the, that's exactly right, right? So if there's a vacant and the, everything's separately metered, then it's probably going to be off if a person has it's been vacant for any time. And so if you ever turn the water on in a unit that has a broken pipe between the toilet and the shower, you will understand why it is extremely important to make sure that you know that prior to turning the water on. And you want to know that before you close so that you can get a closing concession to fix that broken pipe. Mm-hmm. I turned on the water on something that post-close and I flooded two units doing that. <laughs> and so, you know, this oh, wow. kind of but you want to, you want to know the actual condition. Um, and then what's the big ticket stuff, right? Parking lots, roofs. Mm. These are things that you can see before you even get into the property, but we're taking a close look at it. Is the bank or the lender going to make us do something? Are our residents going to be upset if we don't do anything about it? And I think the last thing that we do, because we're always looking for either ways to increase income or decrease expenses, we're going to look at the expenses and we're going to verify that there's actually a problem. Like everything has a specific percentage or ratio that we try to allocate to the overall expenses. And so if we see that like the water bill is high and we go in and we see that there's all new toilets, right, then there's something else that's wrong. And we've got to identify that problem because we're going to go in and fix that in order to boost our net operating income. And so we just want to verify that our business plan is actually going to make sense, whatever we noticed when we were looking through the P&L. So I think I got all of them, but if I miss something, I'm ready. Yeah. Wow, that's intent. That's uh, pretty in depth. There, what's interesting, um, what surprises is you said you did third party verification of financials. So you actually have a an unbiased third party taking a look at. No, so the third party verification of the financials is send me your bank statements. Right? Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Okay, got it. The bank statements. You always want to see the bank statements. 
Got it, man. They tell this the real deal. Okay. Um, it, was that it, Kimmy P? Did we, did, did he yeah. satisfy that question of the due diligence? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did. All okay. Right, cool, man. Because that can be a whole, that could be a whole segment in and of itself, right? So, um, so moving on here, I have a question. So, Jerome, I, I know you position yourself mainly as an asset manager, which sounds like you, typ- like you typically hire a property manager, right? Is that correct? Or okay. Yeah. Okay, yep. good. So, what would you say, man? What are your best tips for managing the manager? You got to have indicators, right? I, I call it my instrument cluster. I'm a big fan of flying fighter jets or playing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I try to liken everything to either a fighter jet or a jumbo jet, right? I call syndication. <laughs> They're not very fun, but in these joint ventures, you can fly to uh, fly a fighter jet. And the instrument cluster for us is really just looking at like what net operating income is per door, what our expense ratio is, how much cash do we have in the bank, which is really a function of how fast we're burning it when we're going through our capital improvement program. And I think the last thing that I think is like super important is expense per door. A lot of people are modeling things based on ratios. And I think at the end of the day, a plumber costs what a plumber costs for a service call. And so if you can actually get to those kind of hard numbers and realize what it costs to run a unit on an annual basis or per month basis, then you can figure out what your income can be. And then you can back into what you should expect your debt service coverage ratio to be. And you know, when you end up in a space where everything that you're doing is based on a ratio, you can make a change on like your income number. Mm-hmm. But if you don't change it enough, your expenses will never be in alignment. And so getting to those truer numbers can give you a, a feel of what makes sense. And a perfect example is you got those fixed costs. You know what your taxes are. You know what your assurances is before you close, right? That's coming out every month out of every unit, whether somebody's in it or not. And then you got all these other things that you can try to control and those are the things that are eating away at your profit. And the one thing that I've seen most frequently that eats away at profit is vacancy. If you're not getting the units leased up quickly or you got a lot of term because people are moving out, it's going to be really difficult to make profit in these properties. Yeah, very good. Okay, so let me recap that. I want to make sure I got that. So the key metrics that you're tracking from your PM company, net operating income per door. Uh, I heard you say cash in bank and then expenses per door. I'm missing one, am I? Am I missing something there? There's so we look at six in total. I I don't remember if I gave you that, but the other one that would be worth talking about is vacancy, right? Vacancy, okay. Per door. That way, you know, we can say, you know, this is taking a really long time to get at least. Are we too high? Did it just take a long time to get a contractor in? Like, what is the issue here? Because yeah. that just pull that out as something that can be a challenge if you're not yeah. careful. You know what seems so basic, but what's surprising that a lot of business business people do not do, you, but you mentioned it, you monitor cash in bank. <laughs> and, a, and a lot of people don't. They'll look at cash flow statement. They'll look at P&L. They'll look at the balance sheet. But I remember um, hearing it from a very smart CFO that one of the things that you should be measuring is cash in the bank every single day. It sounds so basic, right? But that's the lifeblood of the business, man. And it's like, I'm, I just know for us, things really started turning around on a lot of different projects when we started measuring that one thing, cash, daily cash balance, yeah. <laughs> you know? 
I look forward to the 15th of the month when we get our cash from. Yeah, the- <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a better day, right? <laughs> than, the, than the 30th of the month, maybe sometimes. I don't know. So cool, man. That's good stuff. Um, so how closely do you take a look at the market or the sub market that you're buying in? And what are some of the main factors you consider to make sure you're buying in the right areas? Is that a big deal for you? Do you really look at that? So I've struggled with this because yeah. I don't know what you look at. You know, there's people out there who purport themselves as, you know, some of the smartest guys in the room and they yeah. can trend and trend that. But my question to them is always, we're looking at data from 2000 to 2017. How is that going to tell me how my property is going to perform over the next five years? Yeah. Right? And, you know, there may be a trend up, but there's just so much that you can't see. And so what I'm really looking for is really stable areas within a sub market. And everything is hyper local. If the market is dying, mm. then you don't, probably don't want to buy there. But I don't think it's safe to assume that because the population has grown over the past five or 10 years, that it's going to continue to grow. Right. Right. So really want to look for well-positioned assets that are around the staples, right? And so I usually do it by like the general store that people go to. And so we don't usually buy near Dollar Generals, if that's like the thing that's servicing the area. We will buy near Walmarts. Those are class C properties, in my opinion. We will buy near Targets. Those are class B areas, usually in, in my book. And then, you know, we don't really buy class A properties. So, you know, we're looking for that. I think they're a whole lot smarter on demographics than I'll ever be in trends. And so if they're cited in those areas, we like to buy into Walmart around Walmarts and Targets. That's interesting, man. No one has quite put it. No one has quite put it the way you just put it right there. But you know what it reminds me of? The Burger King approach. What does Burger King do? They just survey the landscape and look to see where is McDonald's going. Okay, wherever McDonald's is, we're gonna put up a store close by. They've right, and you just said it, man. It's like you know, you're looking at your WalMarts and your Targets, and you figured they've already done the demographic work. They they got smart people on their payroll. Why not go where they're going? I mean, they, <laughs> thirty year bed. I mean, those leases are really long, and so I mean, yes, on to make sure they understand what's going on. Yeah. Okay. So I heard what I heard you say was you'll buy near Walmart, you'll buy near Targets, wherever that development is going on, but you stay away from Dollar General. I do. Okay. So, Man, that is so bare-bones basic, though, but it makes, it makes total sense. You know? You just broke it down. You just took away all of that complex economics, demographics, and you basically said, look for a Walmart. Look for a Target. It's beautiful, man. Where okay. is it? The path, the path is becoming more clear for us, man. I think that red pill is starting to, is starting to <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, I just have a couple, uh, another question or two, but Kimmy P, you probably have another. You look like you're burning with a question. <laughs> yeah, yes. So my question, Jerome, is what would you say are the most important skills needed to become a successful real estate investor? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever read the book, The Tortoise and the Hare? Uh, I remember the cartoon. I haven't read the book, but I, I, I've seen the graphics and I heard the mother story. Yeah. <laughs> right. well, I mean, the long and the short of it is the hare loses every time. It doesn't matter which version that you 
the, the hair loses every time. And a lot of people want to make these grandiose gestures. They want to take massive action. And the way that you actually win this marathon is being a turtle and just being very deliberate, taking your time and making the right moves consistently. It's not about hitting home runs. It's about singles and doubles. And if you do that enough, you're going to make a massive portfolio that'll provide you a lifestyle that is second to none. And so yeah. for me, it's just about being consistent and showing up and being really deliberate in your choices. Yeah. yeah. And I want to add a comment to that because a lot of investors come in and they're like, they, they did one deal and that deal didn't turn out to be what they expected. They're out already. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or two deals in the out, like, hello, you got to be consistent and you're going to make this work. You know, have you ever tried one thing and it totally worked and I never had to try anything else? <laughs> very, very true. A baby learns how to walk. They don't just start walking. Like they get up, they fall down. They might take two steps. They fall back down I and mean, they go back to crawling. I don't know. But I mean, eventually they start walking. Right. And this is very similar, especially when it's new for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very so cool. Being consistent and deliberate and not to quit and give up. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and that sounds like such uh, basic fundamental advice, right? That's the message in the tortoise and the hare. But man, yeah. do you, um, a lot of people are going to fight back at that, Jerome. I mean, we're in an instant gratification society where, where everything is given to us at the snap. Amazon has taught us that, right? We order something and it's on our front door two two hours later sometimes, <laughs> right? And then and 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 and, uh, and when you watch stuff, you know, on the internet, on in movies and stuff, like like even when you watch Flip This House on AGTV, everything happens in an hour. You make five hundred thousand dollars in an hour. Oh my gosh! So what do you say to those folks? Is that real? <laughs> No, of course it's not real. There's, there's a lot of things you can do with time lapse, right? Yes. But the matter is, if you look at anybody who's an overnight success and you really do the deep dive, you'll find out that there's probably 10 to 15 years of work that culminated in this overnight success. And yeah. so, you know, I'm very crock pot. I'm very much slow cooker. <laughs> I to see the turkey cooking in the oven the night before on Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. I don't want a microwave dinner, right? It's not good for you. <laughs> We're with you, man. We, we, we totally believe in that also. Uh, one of my early mentors, when, uh, uh, a quote that he said that's one of my favorites is, it only took me 20 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Oh. Man, so just, just keep that in mind. So anyway, so let's wrap with this, um, Jerome. Um, and just wanted to focus on your own habits and rituals, right? Uh, and this relates to the 80-20 rule, Pareto's principle, right? That basically says 20% of the population controls 80% of the wealth. 20% of your customers deliver 80% of your profits. 20% of your activities delivers 80% of, re of your results, okay? So how about for you, man, on your daily activities? What would you say are your top 20% of activities that delivers 80% of the results, of your results? Yeah, so the first thing is going to be the weekly meetings with our property manager, okay. making sure that we're staying on course on strategy and answering the questions that come up along the way when things are invariant. 
and being able to add to that strategy. Now they go do a whole lot more work than I'll ever do. I don't ever get a phone call about whether or not we're going to send a plumber to fix the toilet or a handyman or any of that stuff. They get that stuff. But if there's a big expense, for instance, we had an AC unit, we found a hole in the AC unit the other day. It's like, hey, let's replace that. That's a $4,000 expense. And so, you know, you got to have that conversation. Is this the right answer? Or, you know, can we finance it in a way so that we don't take all that hit in one month? Can we find a used unit and swap it out so that we can defray that cost and get this guy taken care of for less money out of pocket? There's a lot of different ways to skin that cat instead of whatever the easiest thing is. And you got to remember, it's not the property manager's money, right? So, they're going to go with what requires the lease from them more often than not. There are some folks who are just going to say, hey, this is what's best for the owner. They're going to go and try to treat it like it's their own money. But more often than not, that person that's sitting in the chair that's filled that call, hey, here's a quick solution for this. I can swap everything out. It's going to cost you $4,000. You won't ever have to worry about it again during the tenure of ownership. But I don't know if that's the right spin, right? So you, you got to work through that. So meeting with the property manager, staying true to strategy. I think the other thing is looking for new deals, right? If I can add to the portfolio and find great cash flowing assets, then we get closer to that thousand unit mark that we're pursuing. And the more deals that I can make that make money, uh, the more people that will be able to help get free, which is the ultimate goal for me is to help a hundred people exit the matrix through ownership and multifamily. And yeah. those things in of themselves is going to drive the most results. And the thing that I do that kind of seasons or informs those decisions is a continuous self-education. So I try to spend three to five hours a day working on myself, trying to go to that next level, because I don't believe that the leader of our organization or organization can outgrow the leader, right? If, and I think it's a John Maxwell principle. If you're a level one leader, your organization is going to be a level zero. If you're level two, your organization can't be any higher than a level two ever. And it keeps going up till you get to level five. And so continuing to sharpen my saw, make sure that I'm up on the latest and greatest, but still holding true to the things that are tried and true. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing, man. You said three to five hours of, of working on yourself. So are you talking about what reading, um, educating yourself? What, what does that entail for you? Yeah, I mean, so a pretty intense morning routine, right? So an hour of moving the body, 30 minutes of meditation, at least 30 minutes of reading, and then a combination of consuming content through lead, read or listening. So could be books, could be podcasts, could be YouTube videos, whatever it is, but just consuming things that are going to help me grow. That's phenomenal, man. <clears throat> yeah, I actually think that's probably the most powerful and impactful thing you can do if you're going to be a leader and you're thinking of growing, scaling, becoming better. That's that's phenomenal. I don't know too many people who put in three to five hours a day. Yeah. That's stunning. So just to recap what you said, the most impactful things for you, your weekly meetings with your PM, and I would imagine that you're basically talking about those metrics that we talked about earlier. Um right? So that's number one. Number two, looking for new deals, deal flow. I think that's critical. That's what, that's what we're here for. And this gathering is all about how to consistently find great deals. And then probably the most important, working on yourself every single day, three to five hours. I don't know if you need to do three to five hours, but I think the more the merrier, right? Yeah. S single most powerful thing you can do, man. 
So I'm yeah. curious, what is it that you're working on yourself? What is what are you doing with yourself? The number one. <laughs> I think it's a combination of everything he just shared there. Are you looking for no, that one thing? No, he said working on himself. I'd like to know what he's doing to work on himself. Yeah, so <laughs> I, about a month into COVID, I weighed more than I'd ever weighed before, right? So part I, I went from walking six miles to running six miles in the mornings, right? And that has cut my weight by about 25 pounds. Um, wow. On the mental space, I... I a lot of people have, you hear voices in your head talking. I've done enough work where my head is quiet the vast majority of the time. And so now I can, when I have thoughts, I can actually center and focus on them and then put them in the right place so that when it's time to pull it off the shelf and apply it, I can. And I think with the content that I'm consuming, uh, that is important because not so much that I'm going to use it right now, but it will trigger something else because as entrepreneurs, we got to connect the dots. And so I'm looking to connect the dots and we have a coaching program, right? And so the folks that we work with are working on stuff as well. And so if I can connect the dots for them, I need that consume. So information in allows me to bring information back out. And then I think, what was the other thing that I talked about? Um, the reading. Moving, meditation, reading, podcast. Yeah, reading. Yeah. The consumption for the reading is important, but sitting still for 30 minutes mm -hmm. and paying attention to something, you can't multitask reading a book. Like if I'm listening to something, I can watch dishes, I can walk and do other stuff, but reading a book, I can't multitask. I got to sit there and look at the pages and I'm not a great reader. That's why I went to engineering school, but like just <laughs> following along and going down, it, it, it cultivates that that discipline and being disciplined i think is one of the core talents that i have wow okay any other follow-up to that kimmy no because the did reason you get your I answer asked, yeah i got my answer the reason why i asked is because a lot of people think that uh to be successful you got to do all the other stuff but they forgot about their here head so so that's why i'm mindset. asking what are you doing here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful, man, because like one of one of my favorite quotes is it's a Tony Robbins quote, 80% of success is psychology, 20% is mechanics. I totally discounted that when I first heard that, but man, I think the older we all get and hopefully wiser we get, man, that is so true. It's probably closer to it moves closer to a hundred the older we get, it seems like. You know? So it sounds like you embody that, man. So Awesome, man. So anyway, we are deep in the rabbit hole, okay? <laughs> and I have a feeling that many of you, um, that Jerome is going to help many of you escape the matrix, okay? And so we have some good news for you, okay? This was just our general segment here. Jerome has graciously agreed to take us even deeper into the rabbit hole. We're going to do a bonus segment. We're going to do a deep dive into one of his case studies where he's going to take it from theory into real life. So Stay tuned for that. But for now, what another thing you guys can do also, you'll notice a button on this page. That is a way for you guys to reach out to Jerome. And I believe he has a nice free gift and some more valuable information to share with you guys. Okay, so take, we encourage you to take advantage of that, especially if you like what we're hearing. Because I know we're, we're loving it so far, but we're in for more. So we'll be back. Thanks, Jerome. Stay tuned. <laughs> 
Hey guys, it's Bill and Kimmy again. Just a couple of things before we let you get out of here. First off, if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, be sure to sign up for our newsletter at www.gimmesomemore.info. Again, that's www.gimmesomemore.info. And Gimme, by the way, is spelled G-I-M-M-E. Not only will we notify you every time a new episode gets uploaded, you'll also receive exclusive tools, tips, and resources to help grow your real estate investing business and portfolio. So go ahead and sign up now at www.gimmesomemore.info. And secondly, if you got some incredible value from this episode or any of our other episodes, it would really mean a lot to us if you give us a review. Five-star reviews are always the goal, but of course, please only provide one if you truly got a five-star experience. You can submit a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back again soon. See you then. Bye-bye.